Welcome back to Almost Heretical for another installment of our journey through the Bible. Oh, maybe that's a good one, because then we're not ripping off. What's the guy that... J. Vernon McGee. Through the Bible. I mean, we're still saying through the Bible. Oh, we're saying journey through the Bible? Like yeah. we're an adventure in Odyssey or something? Yeah, or I don't know. I don't think you watched these ones. I remember checking them out from the church library, but they were these... They took you back to, like, the Bible time. There's these three or four modern characters. I think it was, like, two guys and a mm-hmm. and then a, a, a girl, and they would, like go back to they would get like like magic oh, school yeah. bus back to like bible times <laughs> and uh and they would like have to interact with the story and they're like you know here comes shadrach meshach and abednego oh and then they were doing their thing they were they were kind of yeah. i remember being a little bit scared they were a little bit scary one of my pet peeves is abednego or abendigo that's how everybody says what did it. i say what you, what you said it that way too okay. oh, abendigo but it's a bed nego or oh. abednego has it should anyway it doesn't matter it's not a big deal but pet sorry for pet ruining peeve. that that's okay. uh, but that sounds fun magic school bus bible version um did you yeah. ever read the the books about alice who went it was they, they no. were just little children's storybooks and she would go into the bible story and no you know, a lot of that stuff. Did she go to the furnace? These guys went to the furnace. I don't think there is. I don't think she ever went to that one. Jonah is the one I'm mainly picturing. Oh. Uh, But it was was like a bedtime story. So If someone knows the name of the ones I'm talking about. Oh, oh, um, oh, shoot. I feel like I YouTubed it recently. Anyway, if anyone knows the name of the ones I'm talking about, they were like, they weren't like kids. They were like kind of teens or adults. These these people and there was like one funny guy kind of thing there's always a funny guy anyway okay anyway we are journeying through the bible to the center of the earth is that how we got this the vibe going here um but it's a it, we've in the last episode we just really narrowed down to the concept of the, the end of genesis 2 where um, god you know, presents the woman to the man and marriage sort of begins and they become one flesh all that so go ahead and you can totally listen to that and talk about you know we talk about this is this instituting heterosexual marriage and we talked about does it even matter what the bible says so big one there but that was kind of wrapping up genesis 2 so we're starting now into genesis 3 which if if you've been listening you know those genesis 2 and 3 are really just one narrative like there shouldn't be a chapter break the chapter breaks were added later but um in the original in the masoretic text this is there is no break it just it goes immediately from and the man and, and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed immediately into, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Mm. So that's where we're going to hop in today. And, the serpent. The um, fall. Yeah. This Nate, episode will be the fall, something like that. Nate, if you want to, I kind of liked what we did two episodes ago when we blew through most of Genesis 2, where we just kind of started read it, read, reading through it, and uh, we paused when something interesting came up. Okay, so the fall. This is the NIV the word of the Lord. Uh, <laughs> actually, we, God. Well, we, and we just talked about it in the last episode. Um, you should not go check the it out. It's not the word of the Lord. Okay. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? How many sermons have you heard it's about? The, it's that voice too, right? There. Yeah. Did God, did God really? really say? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think we've actually talked about this on some recent episode, because I feel like I remember talking about how this verse specifically was so hard for me to overcome when I started deconstructing, because I was raised with this perspective that that question, did God really say, was essentially Satan's in. Like, that's how he got. 
He got mm-hmm. us. Yeah. And so, and that's what the primary question of those of us deconstructing and reanalyzing the Bible is, is did God really say all these things that we've been told that he said? And the fact that those are the exact same question was Mm. like terrifying to me. Like I literally thought, am I like, is Satan just leading me astray because of this verse and because of the many sermons I heard um, specifically touting this, this question. Why do you think Satan wasn't leading you away? What led you to getting past that? I just am pretty convinced God didn't really say those things. Okay. So okay. Maybe, Should I continue? Maybe, maybe Satan was just successful. Well, I yeah. did want to one. Oh yeah, yeah. Speaking of Satan, the the serpent is never connected to Satan in the story. True. We talk about that back in the uh, back at the beginning of yeah. almost heretical. Go five years back. Listen to the early episodes. Um, it doesn't actually say it's Satan. No, Satan doesn't exist as a character. Right. For like a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the f- uh, from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Oh, interesting. This tying back to a couple episodes ago, we talked about the, the two trees. There's the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then, Nate, you were saying, you feel like... Maybe that's why there's only yeah, one. Yeah, maybe the, all the pictures only seem to have one tree. Usually, they'll talk about one tree, which... Now, Eve is only talking about one tree. Right. She's saying the tree in the midst of the garden. So, so maybe that's why they just get rid of the other trees, because they kind of jump Focus ahead to this story, one. and then they, you can't go to this story. You have to change the drawing that you made, right? Because then you'd have two trees, and like, oh, we don't need the other one, and yeah. Yeah, which one's in the middle? <laughs> um, you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, nice, it's a nice bonus, you know, and also, it's like, it looks good, it tastes good, and you get Gee, wisdom. Never thought about that. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. It's a big nudist verse here. <laughs> yeah. Last episode, we talked about the one that's read at weddings. This one is plastered at nudist resorts, I'm sure. We don't know that from experience. (laughs) Right. Okay, verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I'm just thinking about that verse eight when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. That's just it's such a it's an inter- such an interesting imagery that you really never see again. The mm. I mean the a very human like God being depicted here. Yeah, I can you know I always pictured like the the leaves crunching or something. Yeah, you know, like you hear that. Uh, it's in, it's the fall in my mind, I guess. Um, As in autumn. Oh. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know I did that. Okay. Um, wow. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God... Well, yeah, so let's pause there okay. after this. This has been a, a long line of blame happening here that has uh, had some pretty significant ramifications throughout history. I mean, 
Again, let's just start off with acknowledging that this is a fictional story that did not happen. And for being a fictional story, for a story that, um, even like at the time it was, you know, being told was seen as more like a, a legend, like folklore, not like it. Why was this given so much? Like, I mean, women have just been seen in such a negative light because of this story for so long. Um, and yeah. if Paul comes back to this story quite a bit. He's actually the only... We talked about in the last episode, I think, about how the story is actually not really referenced throughout the entire rest of Scripture, except Paul, um, which bugs me so much. But Paul, let's see, which where is it? It's in... Yeah, Paul's keeping this this narrative alive here from Genesis, right? Um, yeah. Which is it's interesting because, like, Paul is also... Most of, I would say, modern Christianity is... Most of the Christianity that you are deconstructing from the churches that you either led, like me, or like we're a part of, or whatever, uh, is because of Paul. That's most of the stuff you're, you're yeah. leaving. I think if, it, if we just ended with Jesus and we're like, okay, cool, like most people would, most people would just be like, I don't know if he really rose from the dead. I don't know if he was really God, but um, you know, it's okay, and that'd be it. Yeah. But it's this Paul stuff. It's these letters that Paul wrote, and some that he didn't that are, is, are attributed to him. They were written in the spirit of Paul. Mm-hmm. They're written, mm-hmm. in, which is fine. Yeah, it's fine. I'm not saying there shouldn't be. Well, we are saying they shouldn't be in the Bible, but, but, it, no. but not because of that. Um, but anyways, it's that's what that's, and, and he's the one that is coming back to these to these passages here. Yeah. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter, co-host of the Leaving Eden podcast, and I was raised in a cult. I signed purity pledges. I cried at the altar. I went out door to door soul winning, and I didn't own a pair of jeans until I was 20 years old. I saw it all and did it all as I grew up completely immersed, pun fully intended, in the independent fundamental Baptist movement. With my co-host Gavriel Hakohen, I unpack all of this from the hilarious to the traumatic back to the hilarious on the Leaving Eden podcast. New episodes release every Monday on all podcast streaming platforms. We recommend new listeners. Start by checking out episode 57, in which we discuss the bite model and give an overview of my personal story. Actually, I got so annoyed with Paul when I was doing research on this that I actually went to uh, chat GBT and asked it, what would Christian theology be like without the letters of Paul? How would it be different? And it gave me a nice long answer. It's always very polite. But, I mean, it gave me like seven points that are a significant part of Christianity that are almost entirely derived from Paul. First of which is doctrine of justification by faith. Yeah, that's mm. like pretty much the entirety of the, the churches that we went to. You wouldn't have text to put on a beliefs page without that. <laughs> okay, go. Um, the understanding of sin and redemption, which we're going to get to here. Um, ecclesiology, which is, you know, the, the structure of the church and how the church is supposed to work. Um, eschatology, so a lot about the, the, the resurrection and the End f- coming future. Yeah. Um, relations with Judaism, ethical teachings, theological vocabulary. So words such as grace, faith, justification, heavily influenced by Paul. So pretty big deal. Anyway, that was just my little, my little side rant. But yeah, to continue ranting a bit about Paul, the only real references back to this story, the Genesis 2-3 combo, um, play, as you could say, mm-hmm. two-act play. Um, Romans 5 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death uh, um, came to all people because all sinned. 
then it goes on to say, you know, so salvation comes through one man as well, Jesus. So that's, that's kind of the one reference back to sin coming through one man in the story, Yeah, which is actually, even that is an interpretation that we assume because this is how we've always read it. We're like, yeah, you're right. That is sin coming through one man, but that actually, they don't talk about sin in this story. Um, We'll talk about that later. Um, then right. Ephesians five uh, is a passage about marriage, and it re- it quotes that the one we talked about last time of a man leaving his father and mother and clinging to his wife. So that's the only tie back to that in scripture. And then First Timothy is the worst per usual, which is where it says a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Thanks, Paul. Although, in his defense, he didn't write First Timothy, but still, it's in his tradition. But he might have. I mean, he may have still written something like that. something like that, yeah. So, that's just interesting to note that this story is uh, a very little priority through essentially the rest of the Old Testament and through Jesus. And the reason it's so significant to us today is largely because of Paul. All right. Do you want to do the snake poem? (laughs) Uh, Okay. So, now we're getting to the curses. Um, the Lord's, you know, curses the serpent, which, yeah, I won't, we don't need to focus too much on that. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. Now you are uh, 32 weeks pregnant right now, Shelby. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that the pains you are feeling, a little bit of them, but also the ones that are to come, do you think this <laughs> is where they came from? Yeah. I, it's funny reading this now. I mean, granted, I have not um, actually delivered yet, so can't say. But I, it almost is. Uh, I've I've spent so much time now, several years away from the Bible and away from it, letting it be an authority in my life. And during those years, happened to have also spent a lot of time um, focusing on, you know, feminist theology and just feminist philosophy and feminist um, principles in life and just the empowerment of women and then making specifically the empowerment of myself and my own body. I've gotten to the point where when I read a verse like that, where the pain of childbirth is a curse, I'm, it's like great to me the wrong way because in a weird way, I'm like actually looking forward to it of like, this is going to be the most difficult and painful thing that, you know, I will maybe ever experience, but at the same time, the most incredible and something about the, the pain of it, is what makes like if it's it's kind of like the classic anything mm. you know if it's easy it's not worth doing sort of a thing yeah like the the i just think that in in this world in this day and age it does women women such a greater service to actually acknowledge the pain as like part of the the heroism and the power of of the act of giving birth and so reading it as a curse is actually like yeah so so strange to me now yeah that's that's really cool it's almost like, I mean, these are men that were writing this, right? It's like, they're like, okay, we just hand out some curses here. What's you know, the serpent? Well, it slides around its belly. So that could be, that's what the curse was for that. And women, man, they that they really go stuff. through it yeah. when they, like, that must be, or that could be the curse, you know, for them. Yeah. But I mean, if from a male perspective, yeah, that probably would look that way. But from a female perspective, you know, maybe that is actually one of the the greatest things that we ever do. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I remember thinking, like, when reading this, I was like, 
wait, so before this, it wasn't painful right at all out. <laughs> to like have something, have all your organs moved around? Or did that process change too? Like, that's why you can't do that to these. I mean, if we're going to take the story right? literally, then at this point, Eve is like, wait, do what? What's a child, you know? So, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's, that's true. That's never happened before, but it's not literal. So, so yeah. But then what I do like, <laughs> I, I don't like that that's a curse. What I do like that is a curse is the, the next part where it says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. When I read that, I was like, how is this not the most obvious to everyone that patriarchy is, even according to the Bible, mm-hmm. not the natural way of things? <laughs> like it's in, in scripture, like, so in, this should be in Christian context, no matter how evangelical conservative Patriarchy should be seen as something that is that is not ideal, and that mm-hmm. and if we want to create a world that is more like the kingdom of God, that is bringing things back to Eden, you know, whatever language we're going to use, then eliminating patriarchy would be part of that, right? Yeah. So. Huh. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I've never thought about that before. This because you listen to. Yeah. Your desire to be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So that was the that was something that changed. That was the curse. Yeah, that, it's also that happened. cool to acknowledge that. Yeah. Apparently, in the story, that was not true up until this point. Right, right. Yeah. But even so, even if they're just they're they've built this story over time to try to explain the world and to give people their meaning and stuff like that. Like you have you've you've ascribed that you've said that this is. Um, not the the ideal, not the way things should be, right? Even in your story that you've made, right? Um, yeah. And then Adam, uh, to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Uh, this is the one, like, work's going to be hard. Yeah. Work's going to suck. Cursed is the ground because of you. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but then also, sweaty brow, until you return to the ground since you were taken since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Yeah, it's interesting. Is that, you know, because Adam is, is still at the Adam, like humanity, like is he giving the a curse of you're all going to return to the earth? Because technically the woman is not, was hmm. was not created from the <laughs> earth. So Surprise, women all women are actually immortal. Yeah, heaven's just like women. Yeah. <laughs> oh, whoa. Well, we just jumped to heaven. Okay. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> saying, if you play this all the way out. Yep, and then the chapter ends with the man called his wife's name Eve, and she was because she was the mother of all living. Um, the, the the name Eve means like life, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife, who just had a name, so I don't know why he couldn't just say for Adam and Eve. Anyway, made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. First animals to die. <laughs> yeah, that was. I mean, I remember that being taught for sure. I don't remember ever hearing that. Oh, really? Uh, Yeah, do you want to finish this out? And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. End of this very dramatic um, story, all the way from an empty earth in which God uses the dust and forms man, and then now they've taken things kind of into their own hands, and um, and it's just the story begins of humanity and, and their choices. Right. 
What's interesting, and we mentioned this, I think, a couple episodes ago, is that um, the, the the tree, like God is here saying, now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and live forever, um, you know, they that's why he, he's cast out of the garden. The humans are cast out of the garden is so that they don't end up becoming immortal, um, which presupposes that they're already mortal beings who just had the potential to get some immortality through this tree mm-hmm. of life. But what's a totally different sh- paradigm shift for me, reading through some com- commentaries, um, well, to start off with, how I always read this and believed about this story, this the fall story, and I'm guessing you did too, and probably most of our listeners, is, I mean, the basic concept of this is why people die. Like, God said, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And so now that's why we, there's death in the world is because then mm-hmm. they did it. But it's a kind of a different narrative if you um, see it as actually people were already mortal and then read it. And so then um, Brueggemann and a couple other commentators are saying that actually that God's actually being merciful in the story because it's, he said, when you, when you eat of this tree, you will surely die. And then when they do it, they don't immediately die. Like he gives them these curses, but it's a, he's actually showing them mercy. Um, he, it was actually a nice quote from this guy. I was like, what? I've never thought of it this way before. But um, Brueggemann says, this is not a simple story of human disobedience and divine displeasure. It's rather a story about the struggle God has in responding to the facts of human life. When the facts warrant death, God insists on life for his creations. Wow, I've never Hmm, thought of it that way at all. And uh, another commentary from a a Jewish commentator on the Torah, Nahum Sarna, he makes um, the similar claim that the the die in this passage is not immediate death, but instead it just means no longer having access to the tree of life. And that's the, thus the expulsion from the garden. So it's kind of just like saying, you know, you will... Now you no longer get to access this. But what's most interesting to me is the fact that our entire gospel is based on this idea of overcoming death and that through Jesus, we, you know, know, Jesus defeats death. And that that may not actually be the point of the story, which again, to reemphasize, as we've said many times, the story is never used throughout all of scripture until we get to Paul. And then Paul heavily uses it for um, his theology of um, overcoming death and Jesus, Jesus being the one that, that does that for us. But if you think about the old Testament and the, the scriptures leading up to Jesus, death is not really seen as something to be overcome. Uh, There's no real, there's no concept of heaven and hell in the old Testament. There's like people just, it's just the norm that people die. Yeah, they go to the grave, right? Yeah, they go to the grave to Sheol, which is not seen as really either good or bad. Like, it could be some of both or neither. And so it's not really until we get to Paul that this whole idea of overcoming death becomes so essential. Um, and, you know, to a Jewish audience reading the story of the fall, they didn't necessarily read it the way we, we read it. Because, as we were just talking about, they... They may have already seen Adam and Eve as mortal people, like mortality was just part of who they are. And, and then they, you know, they maybe lost this access to the tree of life. But 
uh, but mortality was just a normal part of humanity. And then, so then they don't have that same problem that they're trying to solve. I think the comeback would be John 3.16, right? It is in the Gospels, um, the for God's love the world that, oh, well, hold on. I just forgot it. Gabe's only son, whoever <laughs> believes in him shall not perish. Shall not perish, life. eternal, but everlasting yes. life, eternal life. You know, yeah. it's this immortality, live forever kind of concept. It, or is it, it is, not? It seems to be coming about more, more in the New Testament. It's most heavily in Paul. John's also the the latest of the Gospels. But yeah, I, I guess I won't go so far as to say that it's not in the Gospels, but that it does seem to be. I mean, the tie back. A later concept. Yeah, I mean, the the specific tie back to to Genesis is not necessarily yeah. there. There is a concept of everlasting life or eternal life. And maybe we could talk about that sometime because I think that's a that's a big one for a lot of Jasons out there. If you don't know what that <laughs> means. Jason? If you don't know what that means, go listen to uh, the last episode that we just did on Genesis 2, part 2. Yeah. Um, one kind of last thing I wanted to throw in here. I think, I don't know if we talked about it sometime in the last few months, Um of a inaccurate takeaway that I think I came, I always came away with um, from the Genesis two, three narratives thinking about the garden of Eden was uh, this concept of perfection. Yeah. And we talked about it on the utterly theoretical episode, utterly theoretical. Yeah. Yeah. That the word like I, I always just saw, you know, the garden of Eden is where everything was perfect. And, um, and then the message was that, you know, um, or this perfection and order is ideal and then chaos and disunity is is bad. Um, but the word perfect doesn't appear anywhere in all of this. I mean, it sounds pretty great. It sounds fairly utopian, this garden where everything's just flourishing. Yeah, I mean, it works nice to say like the garden was perfect and then the garden at the end, you know, the yeah. uh, heaven at the end, like New Jerusalem, whatever, that will be re- returned to perfection. We, we messed up perfection and now... We're, it's a return to perfection, but I mean, per- perfect is not talked about. Yeah. I don't think in either of those places, actually. Yeah, I don't. Even I don't, if you want to say I Revelation is is actually the what's going to happen in the future, which let's not go there. But I don't think that there is a Hebrew word for perfect. I think the closest we come is shalom, which is I mean means peace and also means like completion. Um, so it's for something to be, you know, complete, which is you know could be a similar concept. But is, is shalom talked about in Genesis two and three? Obviously, it's there in Revelation, right? It's in Revelation, right? I think. Um, no, the first, I always use blue letter Bible for figuring out if you put in the word you want, da, 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 look up the tools. It'll, anyway, it'll tell you. So the first use of the word shalom is Genesis 15. So yeah, that's mm. it's not in And this, Revelation this wasn't in Hebrew, so it's not in there either. <laughs> so there either. Uh, per, the word perfect, the word shalom does not appear in the Genesis yeah. two three narrative doesn't appear in Revelation, so yeah. And yeah. I will and I will say that the the last thing on that imperfection note is I remember hearing in a sermon um, from a pastor, obviously that quote the first thing that led to imperfection was questioning God. I mean, it must have been a sermon on this topic, which brings us back to kind of what I was saying at the beginning of that that the terrifying. Um, approach to this, you know, did God really say question and, and how that, I think, especially for this audience is so central to the process of, I mean, the, the, the fear around asking some of these questions, because we've 
been told these things over and over again. Things like, you know, Satan asks, Satan gets you to ask, did God really say? Or the first thing that led to imperfection was questioning God. And I, I mean, that's how this story is is taught. And granted, that may even be one of the messages that the, the authors were trying to to teach was essentially obey God. Like, yeah. don't do what God says not to do. And, you know, I'd say, yeah, I would say that that's probably one of the main purposes of the story. But, of course, then when you combine that with so many years of then being taught through all the rest of Scripture of what God says to do or not do, and what it means to obey God or not obey, we, you know, we're just filled with this fear of doing doing the wrong thing or of, you know, choosing to go on our own path and our own journey and how is, you know, are we being disobedient and is that, um, you know, are we literally falling into this trap that we've been told our whole lives is how the world became like evil to begin with. Yeah. Uh, going back real quick as we wrap up here, but um, in verse 22 there, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He mm-hmm. must not also be like the one of us thing. You know, yeah. it's not talking about the Trinity, right? That's no. not that's not mm-hmm. around yet. But I mean, we talked about this in our early episodes. I think the episode From is the called "The Make Fall." Man in our image. Oh, oh, you're talking. Yeah, yeah the rethinking Genesis um, series that we did five years ago. We talk about. I think one episode is called "The Fall." You should listen to it sometime, shall we? <laughs> <I should>. uh, <laughs> um, anyway, and we talk here. This is this is all part of. It's following Doctor Michael Heiser's work um to say that there's there's some divine realm stuff going on here potentially mm, too totally to say becoming like one of the heavenly one of the spiritual one of the divine beings um it, it's this idea that there are multiple divine beings and god was cool with that and god was in um in jewish thought the highest of the divine beings but god was one of other divine beings and there was at war with other divine beings. And that was just like a, a common way they viewed the world. And so you see that coming in here potentially with this Genesis three twenty two verse becoming like us, um, becoming a, a divine being, mm-hmm. which there we get into it all. It's a whole episode. So go check it out. But scroll way back. <laughs> scroll way. Yeah. It's going to like, your fingers going to get a little tired. Well, we've made it through the first you know, a few episodes of Genesis and it's from here on out going to get, uh, that we're going to start adding in those characters that we know so well. And we'll probably start speeding it up a little bit. Yeah. Don't worry. We're not going to do this with Leviticus it, like this. Oh, no way. <laughs> some, we may skip over some books entirely or yeah. just mention them. You know, we might spend one episode on like several books at a time. Mm-hmm. So yeah, this, it's, but these, these chapters of Genesis lay such a foundation for how we have, um, seen ourselves and the gospel and the Bible. And so yeah. that just felt like it was worth sitting in for a little while. Yeah. Tune back in next time. Who knows what we're going to do next? Uh-huh. Probably Genesis 4, but maybe more. Right. There you go. We don't know. All right. Um, we'd love to hang out with you. We do these quarterly calls where we get to meet you and stuff like that. And um, it's been really cool to actually see faces, hear questions from from listeners um, on a Zoom call. And so if you want to take part in the next one, you can go to almostheretical.com, support the show for a couple bucks, and then you're you're in. You're into that. You get the extra episodes of Utterly Heretical that we do where we say truly crazy things. I'm just kidding. No, but we, we talk about our, our pasts and our experiences more. It's a totally different vibe to that show. Um, 
It's my favorite of the shows that we do. Um, so you should check it out. Um, and then uh, what else do they get? They get something else. So, oh, the private Facebook yeah. group. Yeah, which is super cool. There's like 300 people in there all on this similar journey. They'll Maybe they'll read something and they'll like throw it out to the group. Like, have you have you read this? How are you guys processing this? Mm-hmm. Or how are you processing shiny, happy people? Or how are you, you know? <laughs> and they'll kind of just work through stuff like that um, in a like no judgment group. Um, and it's private and all that kind of stuff. So if you want, if some of that stuff would be helpful to you, we do it to try to, to help you and assist you. And then we just ask for yeah a few dollars to help us keep this show going because there are costs associated with it. And we try to devote up as much time as we can to this too. So I hope this is all helpful and uh, can't wait to see you on one of the calls or in the Facebook group. And uh, we'll catch you next time as we get into Genesis 4. Thanks for listening.